Hello. Hi. How's everyone doing this morning? Good morning. Welcome to Grace. My name is Michaela, and I am the missions pastor here at Grace Community Church, but I also help to lead the worship um, here at Arlington. I've been over at West Falls Church, so you may have seen me here watching online. And I got a quick question for everyone. Who is ready for fall? Anyone ready for fall? Yes, raise your hands. I'll raise two hands. (laughs) So I'm from Florida. Fall usually doesn't show up. Yes, Floridian in the house. Um, Fall doesn't show up till December. So I have loved living here for the past three years when fall shows up kind of on time, you know? So I'm, I'm looking forward to some less humidity, cooler weather, and of course, everything pumpkin spice. So pretty excited about that. (laughs) So today, um, we're wrapping up our series that we've been doing for the past 11 weeks. It's been like a marathon, um, but it's entitled Unlikely Heroes. And today we have reached the finish line. We've been talking about heroes, unlikely heroes such as Mary Magdalene, John the Baptist, Judas. Last week we heard about Amos from our student pastor, Matt Comar. But this week I'm wrapping it all up with someone who I think is the most unlikely hero, in my opinion. This guy wrote 13 out of the 27 books in the New Testament. His writings are directly credited to enhancing the central message of Christianity. And without him, honestly, my job title wouldn't exist as missions pastor because he truly was the first missionary to spread the message of Jesus. Now, some of you might be saying, uh, Michaela, this guy doesn't sound unlikely at all. He sounds like a total biblical hero, you know? And that's true. That's true. But what if I told you that his life started out persecuting, imprisoning, and shaming anyone who had placed their faith in Jesus? And now we're getting somewhere with the whole unlikely thing, right? So let's start by examining Saul, the punisher, and the persecutor. And then we're going to get to Paul, the hero and the apostle of Christ. And just to clarify before we get going... As we begin to talk about Saul first and then Paul, I just want to let you know Saul and Paul are both of his names. Saul is his Hebrew name, whereas Paul is his Roman name. And a little bit later, I'll elaborate as to why he chose to go by Paul and was referred to as Paul after he left his Punisher lifestyle behind him. So let's take a look at Saul the Punisher. The first time Saul shows up in the Bible is in the book of Acts, which is in the New Testament. This chapter was written by a guy named Luke about 60 to 70 years after Jesus was crucified. Now, the spot where we see Saul first appear, Luke is describing the stoning of a man named Stephen. What's happening at this point in history is Jesus is gone, but his disciples and his movement are still alive and gradually spreading. A man named Stephen is one of Jesus's advocates and followers, and he decides to speak out about the gospel and how Jesus is truly the Son of God and the Savior that they'd all been waiting for. Now, the Jewish leaders and the Justice Councils, otherwise known as the Sanhedrin, uh, they were not a fan of Stephen coming into their towns and spreading this new message because it totally went against some of their teachings. So let's go ahead and see what happens in Acts 7, starting at verse 57. At this, they covered their ears. And yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, at Stephen. And they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. So 
the first time we see him. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Now, at the beginning of this, Stephen, he was calling out these people for supporting Jesus' death. They did not like this, and that's why they chose to stone Stephen. And what I find significant within this passage is how insignificant Saul is. I mean, in the situation, he's more or less an onlooker, right? He's kind of like just taking it all in. He's got the coats at his feet. But when we keep reading, we discover that Saul played a huge part in wanting to destroy the church and imprison many new Christ followers. I mean, this, there's a theologian. His name, is, his name is Charles Swindle, and he states that Paul hated the name of Jesus. So much so, he became a self-avowed, violent aggressor, persecuting and killing Christians in allegiance with the God of heaven. Some scholars, they even speculate that Saul was a part of or associated with the Sycharai. And the Sycharai translates to the dagger men. And these men were known for seeking out Christ followers in large crowds and synagogues and stabbing them. They would wear long robes. They would hide their daggers in their robes. They'd approach people discreetly, and they would stab them and then flee the scene without being noticed. They were like ninjas who hunted Christians in their time. Saul was seriously the furthest thing from a hero for Christ, especially associating with groups such as the Sycharai. So now we've got a picture of who Saul was as the punisher. It's important to have that context because now I want to turn to Saul's encounter with Jesus and ensuing transition. And that takes place here in Acts 9, starting at verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, following Christ, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Wow. <laughs> this is pretty, pretty incredible here that Jesus has to literally come down and reveal himself to Saul in person. He got his attention by shining this bright light that in fact blinded Saul for three days as he was in Damascus. Saul was on a roll here, you know. He was persecuting the church, imprisoning Christ followers, but Jesus completely interrupted that movement and changed his course as he was entering Damascus. He had other plans to use Saul's drive and hatred for the church 
for his good. I mean, Jesus, he truly chose one of the most unlikely men to be his advocate. I was kind of thinking, like, what was Jesus thinking, you know? I kind of, like, picture Jesus, you know, I kind of have, like, a cartoon brain sometimes, and I just picture him up there being like, all right, so now that I'm gone, I need to pick someone who's going to be, like, my biggest advocate. I need to pick someone who's going to be a champion for me, who loves me, who's going to spread my joy and peace and love to everyone. Who should I choose? Hmm. Ah, I know. I think I'm going to choose this guy that's on his way to Damascus to put all my people in prison. Yeah, he seems perfect. He seems perfect. (laughs) Because he can, right? He's Jesus. So he wanted to use Saul as a total, as a tool to spread his word and truth. Because Saul was someone who could relate to those who hated the church and what Jesus was all about. This is where we start to see a shift in Saul and now how he wanted to be approached, what he wanted to be called by. He chose to be called by his Roman name, Paul. This is what we see him referred to as kind of after this encounter with Jesus. And it's because he wanted to be relatable. He wanted people to see him for who he was, not for his past. And if he stuck with his Hebrew name Saul, it would have been affiliated with Lots of pain and oppression to those who he was now trying to come alongside. And understanding Paul's past is very crucial. This is how we see God using an unlikely hero to do his work. God wanted Paul to use his past in order to shape and influence his future. It came with a lot of pain, but Paul knew it could all be used for God's strength. And right now, We're going to take a look at some of Paul's past and how he crafted it and used it to his advantage. You see, Paul, he studied under one of the most knowledgeable rabbis of the first century. Paul was extremely well-educated in the Jewish teachings, which allowed him to relate to the most highly regarded Pharisees of his time. So we see here in Acts 22 how Paul is going to use his past to relate to those who are wanting to continue tearing down the church. He used to be one of them, so he wants to use that as fuel to level out the playing field as he's talking about his new faith in Jesus. So we're going to see this in Acts 22, verse 4. He said, I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them in prison. Then we skip ahead to verse 19. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Here we see him referring back to the stoning of Stephen and how he not only He just wasn't a spectator or an onlooker here. Right here, he's saying, I gave my approval, and I guarded the clothes of the men who were killing them. Let's continue and see what else Paul has to kind of say with his past and relate to those in Acts 26. He said, I too was convinced. I was convinced I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that's just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. 
talk about kicking people when they're down. (laughs) Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blasphemy, meaning to speak irreverently about or swear against God. I was so obsessed with persecuting, he was obsessed with persecuting them, that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. And that's when he goes to talk about going to foreign cities such as Damascus. Now think of all the pain and torture and fear that Paul put Christ followers through in his past. Although he was persecuting them and going from synagogue to synagogue to have them punished and thrown in prison, these people still kept their faith and died with Jesus on their lips. Just like the song we were singing earlier when it says, your praise will ever be on my lips, the people Paul was putting to death and persecuting spent their last words praising Christ. I mean, this this must have stirred Paul to no end. And God used Paul's past weaknesses to spread his message. Now, at this point, I could go on for another three hours, honestly, because Paul was an incredible man. And as I said before, he wrote 13 out of the 27 books of the New Testament. Some people dedicate their entire scholarly careers studying Paul. So I'm going to spare you those three hours because I know we all got brunch plans and stuff. But um, so at this point, I just want to skip ahead to where Paul is extremely vulnerable, okay? This may be one of the most intimate and personal moments that Paul shares with us in his writings. And now that he's on the other side of Christian persecution, he is pleading for his life and his faith in Christ while speaking to the people of Corinth. What I really want to drive home here is Paul's reference to the thorn in his flesh. So let's go ahead and see what he's got to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Therefore... In order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power, for my strength, is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. And here's that line. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So this weakness that Paul is referring to, this thorn in the flesh, what exactly is it, you might be asking? Scholars have speculated over Paul's thorn in the flesh for centuries. Some say it was blindness carried over from his journey to Damascus or even a degenerative eye disease. Others say his thorn was a speech impediment, which is why he was such a great writer. (laughs) Paul's thorn could have also been spiritual. could have been his past haunting him and tormenting him relentlessly. Some say it was relational, that enemies and false teachers in his life that just followed him around. But honestly, we don't know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. And that's all right. It's okay. Because instead of focusing on what the Bible doesn't say there, let's go ahead and focus on what the Bible does say. So 
Let me just put it this way. Instead of the passage saying this, for instance, if he would have said, to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a degenerative eye disease. You wouldn't be able to relate to that, would you? Not all of us. Not all of us. Pastor H.B. Charles Jr. of Jacksonville, Florida, I love his outlook on Paul's thorn in the flesh. He gave an entire sermon on this, and he explained the thorn as being universal and relatable to all people. He said, God, in his infinite wisdom, moved Paul to state whatever the problem was in universal, inclusive, poetic language that all of us can relate to. You may not know what it's like to have a degenerative eye disease, but you do know what it's like to have a thorn in the flesh. You know what it's like to hurt. You know what it's like to have pain. Thorns are sharp. They leave wounds. And that's all that Paul is trying to say here, is I'm going through a painful experience. Right now, I want to get a little vulnerable with you, a little intimate, if you don't mind. I want to share a thorn in my flesh, one of my weaknesses, because Lord knows I have many. So <laughs> I want to share one with you that's pretty practical. Um, and if you feel like laughing, please feel free to laugh, because I kind of laugh at the situation now in God's sense of humor in this weakness that I've been given. So... Last year, like I said, I'm the missions pastor here, and last year I took a team down to Guatemala. And on the flight from Miami to Guatemala City, you know, my stomach started to turn, kind of got in my head, getting a little anxious and a little nervous about our trip, and my travel anxiety started to kick in. That's right. I have travel anxiety. <laughs> and so as I'm getting a little antsy in my seat, one of my team members across the aisle from me, she kind of looks over, and she's like, you doing okay? You feeling all right? And I'm like, ah, you know, my stomach's kind of acting up. I'm really, I'm getting in my head and my travel anxiety's kind of ramping up. And she, she just started laughing. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you laughing about? Why are you laughing at me right now? I'm in pain. I feel horrible. Like, I just want to like crawl in a ball and like fall asleep. And she's like, I just think it's so funny that God chose you to be a missions pastor. <laughs> And I'm like, no one has ever put it that way before, right? That it's like, here I am, this person ever since I was a young kid, had anxiety about leaving my comfort zone, had to travel across the world to do certain things. And God chose me, the most unlikely girl from Florida, to be a missions pastor and to just thrive. I thrive when I'm in the field. It's the whole like plane ride getting there that I get the anxiety. So... That is one of my kind of practical thorns in the flesh that I deal with still to this day. Um, so I just wanted to share that with you and encourage anyone who has travel anxiety. It's okay. <laughs> Let God use it for his strength. <laughs> um, I wanted to share one more story, if you don't mind. Um, it's a story of a hometown hero in my hometown of St. Petersburg, Florida. Her name is Sophia. She, uh, when she was two years old, she was diagnosed with stage four neuroblastoma. This is a quickly spreading cancer that begins in the nervous system and it spreads throughout the body. And their survival rate 
in high-risk cases is about 40 to 50%. So needless to say, this was a very heartbreaking moment and a shock to her parents and her older brother. Sophia began her chemo and radiation treatments in January of 2015, fighting to stay alive and beat this horrible disease. As the treatments and frequent visits to the hospital lasted throughout the year, Sophia's mom, Catalina, began to recognize an army of families coming around her. Many of the parents in similar situations became super supportive of Sophia and her family. They were sharing stories and prayers and lifting one another up through this tragic time. I mean, they were, they were helpless and weak, and all they could do was lean on God and the doctors to get through this time. Now, a few years earlier, a boy, a little boy named Ezra, he passed away from the same type of cancer that Sophia had. Ezra's parents wanted to keep their son's memory alive and also fight for children in the future who would be diagnosed with neuroblastoma. Ezra's parents, they ended up starting a fund, and they raised hundreds of thousands of dollars to begin a new medical trial for children that have neuroblastoma. And because of this family, because of Ezra's family finding strength within the weakest and most tragic moment of their lives, Sophia was able to benefit from this medical trial. Sophia was the second child at All Children's Hospital to receive this rare treatment that is keeping her alive to this day. Sophia is now five years old. She's living a full and beautiful life. She loves playing with her older brother, going to school, going to dance class. But most of all, what I love seeing the strength in this little hero is that she loves helping to raise awareness now for other children that have cancer and neuroblastoma. Sophia and her family are taking their weakest moment and finding God's strength by becoming advocates. It's because of Sophia that many other children are being exposed to this experimental trial. It's because of Sophia's strength that other families can have hope. They have hope that their little boy or girl can ring that bell and say, I'm cancer-free. Diseases such as cancer are possibly one of the worst thorns in the flesh. And I'm sorry if you have ever had to deal with that, either personally, with a friend, a family member, and that you go through that battle. I've had to deal with it in my family. But I've watched as strength came from the ashes of despair. I mean, in our society, we don't like to be weak. We live in a very individualistic culture where we need to have it all figured out and lean on our own strengths to get us through. There are companies in America who spend thousands of dollars to help identify their employees' strengths. I mean, we want people to work in their strengths at all times. I bet right now, a lot of you off the top of your heads could tell me your Myers-Briggs type, your strength finders type your top strength finders results, your emotional intelligence results. But God tells us, just like he told Paul, as Paul was pleading to take away his pain and his suffering in his weakest moment, God said, my grace is sufficient for you. Lean into my grace and I will be strong for you today, 
tomorrow, and always. Paul pleaded three times to have this taken away, and God didn't take it away. Instead, he said, hey, my grace is sufficient, Paul. I know, I know this is hard, but lean into it, and my strength will shine through in your weakest moments. So I have a question for you this morning. If you're here, if you're watching online, what's your thorn in the flesh? What's your pain? What's your hurt that you're going through? And we're going to take these next few moments to kind of lean into that this morning. I'm going to give you the opportunity to reflect, and it's on the back of your bulletin. If you just want to write it down, write it down. Every Tuesday as a staff, we gather and We will partner in prayer with you. If you would like us to partner in prayer with you, go ahead and write down your prayer on the little part of the bulletin that comes apart, and you can drop that in the offering box on the way out. We'd love to partner in prayer with you. If you're watching online, all you have to do is click on the button that says Live Prayer, and there's someone there waiting for you to just partner with you in this moment that you're working through your thorn in the flesh. So while we're kind of reflecting and having this moment here, um, I want to share something with you. So I know earlier I said that I help lead worship here, and I've had a song stuck in my head (laughs) for the past few months. And uh, as I've been preparing for this message, I just couldn't deny that God was wanting me to share it. And... uh, So I just, I want to go ahead and sing just a part of this song for you this morning. And there's one lyric that I really want you to focus on that has just been ringing in my ears. And it says, even when my strength is lost, I'll praise you. So I'm going to go ahead and sing as Naomi plays. You can just take this time to pray and reflect, and then I'll pray for us. God, we know you are with us even when our strength is completely lost and we have asked you to take our thorns, you are there in your unmatched strength. Remind us to lean into that never-ending promise this morning, God. I pray for all of those who are here, all those watching online, to find you in their weakest moments and say, God, Your grace is sufficient. We thank you, God, so much for that reminder. It's in your name we pray. Amen.